Hey everyone, you're listening to InfoQuench with Jeff and Amy. We're chatting about how to get the most out of life and covering a ton of interesting topics. So there's sure to be something for just about everyone. Let's get to it. Hey everybody and welcome to InfoQuench. I'm your host Jeff. And I'm Amy and this is part two of our episodes on negotiating. And the reason we want to cover negotiating is I think whether we're conscious of it or not, negotiation comes into many aspects of our lives. Yeah, you can do it with your kid. You can do it with your boss. You can do it when you're buying stuff. I mean, it's across the board in everyday life. And so I wanted to start out with just a quick recap of what we talked about in part one, but definitely go back and listen to it if you haven't caught it yet. Uh, We talk about whether or not you should make a first offer and cover a lot of content from Chris Voss, who is a retired FBI hostage negotiator. And we'll cover a little bit more of his tips in this episode He looks just like what you would think a negotiator, a hostage negotiator negotiator would look like yeah definitely if you want to google him it's voss v-o-s-s yeah it's pretty uh, interesting check him out and we covered what batna means uh a best alternative to a negotiated agreement we talked about the idea of labeling which is to basically name or acknowledge the elephant in the room at the beginning of the negotiation so it doesn't become an obstacle. A good tactic. And that you can address it on the on the front end. Uh, we talked about how to ask calibrated questions. So rather than ask somebody, for instance, what do you think the next steps are, you could say something along the lines it of... It seems like the- you've been thinking you've got something in mind. What would that be? Right. And, and it tends to let the information flow, the dialogue flow. People are more apt to share immediately what's on their mind rather than... Yes. I remember him saying that you would you'd be surprised at how quickly people divulge their information or their game plan when you say a question like that to them. Right. So it's just a matter of a little bit of rephrasing. And he also talked about the fact that we often associate negotiations with money, but that time is also a very important currency in terms of negotiating. And uh, a lot of our everyday negotiations are around our own time and protecting that valuable time. Before we did part one, I knew absolutely nothing about negotiating, to be honest. I didn't. I didn't. I like I like I said, like we said at the top of the podcast, everybody does it, though. Everybody negotiates in one way or another, almost probably every day. Well, I don't I didn't really know much about it either. And I think when we're trying to pick topics for these episodes, I I choose things that I'm genuinely interested in and want to learn more about to do better at in life. Uh, you know, we really focus on life improvement tips and we don't want them to be overly complicated, but we're going to give you some practical information you can actually implement in daily life. Did you try implementing any of the, uh, things that we learned in, in part one? Uh, uh, actually some of the tips that we're going to cover in this one, I, I have been working on. So let's get to it. We're going to start with a quote, uh, as we do every episode. And this one was referenced in part one, but I wanted to go a little bit deeper with it this time. It's by, uh, Stephen Covey, uh, who wrote seven habits of highly effective people. A book you read. I did. And I think a lot of people have, it's been on the bestsellers list, I think for probably, I don't know how long, but a book that you've been at me to read and I haven't. (laughs) It's great. It's one of the classics sort of, uh, you know, up there with Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people. It's, it's one of those, uh, go-to books. That's, you know, it's a it's timeless, timeless advice. So his, this quote is, Seek first to understand and then to be understood. And this is applicable in a lot of contexts, but um, 
you know, especially so in negotiating. But uh, Stephen Covey himself summarizes his quote, or I guess paraphrases his quote as, if I were to summarize in one sentence the single most important principle I've learned in the field of interpersonal relations, it would be this, uh-huh. which is, once again, to seek first to understand and then be understood. And it, it just helps you. A lot of people you. don't seek to understand the other person's point of view at all. And it, it well, and if you start out a negotiation without making that effort to to seek to understand, you're operating in the dark. You don't yeah. really have a good, uh, I guess, awareness of what the other party's looking for during the negotiation, and that can make things. It kind you know, of shows drag a little bit of little ignorance bit. as well, to a degree, because if you're not going to try and understand another person's point of view when it comes to negotiating, and you just go in and you're just all you know, very strong with your own idea, then it doesn't really translate too well for like the end outcome, I don't think. Well, it's interesting. I think a lot of people do approach negotiation as going in with a bit of a, an out, you know, thinking that they're going to be stubborn, you know, they, they want to be strong in their, in their position. They don't want to give in. And that's not necessarily the way to be successful in a negotiation. So let's jump into a few more tips from uh, from Chris Voss. He talks about you know even the idea of trying to find common ground uh, with with whomever you're negotiating. It sometimes it's just not there. So it's more right. important to to listen to what they're looking for, what they need from the negotiation. It can be completely separate from what you're going into. Uh, looking for but it doesn't mean it's not important it'll it's something that'll come into play in the you know in the inevitable outcome of right. of whether or not you're successful in, in reaching an agreement and one of the uh, I guess the quick tips he said is and he, he actually said this has a success rate of 100% in terms of you know people who have uh, listened to him speak or read his have read his books or uh have implemented this tip and he said it's about getting people to intentionally say no intentionally say Say no no. now i've heard the opposite that when you can get people to say yes it'll get them into a more agreeable uh i guess mindset but now what is it exactly that's a hundred percent when you say no so what he means is that in terms of suggesting an approach or something so if i wanted you to uh i don't know load the dishwasher a different way. Right, which you always do. <laughs> and I would say, I could say, you know, uh, would you do this? And, and I hope for that, yes. But people are more comfortable saying no. It makes them feel protected. So if I would say, are you against the idea of... Oh, I get it of, now. You know, you know, listening to how I want to do... It's essentially be it allows people to say no, which they're right. comfortable with. So he's basically saying that uh, it's a hundred percent success rate when you when you phrase that negotiation with the uh, making the other person say no. Right, and I don't think he's talking about a major negotiation where there's a lot of no. back and forth in terms of uh, you know what the what the terms right. will be. That's interesting. But this is more just the idea of uh, you know trying to to get somebody to try something out or to go along with your idea. So rather than say, would you like to try this? Mm. And people become quite guarded. You say something along the like, would you, would you be opposed <laughs> would to... Would you be against putting all the glasses on the <laughs> bottom po- portion of the dishwasher? And I would have to say, no, they go on the top. And then you won. Right? Yes. 
<laughs> there you go. It all comes down to the dishwasher. Really it always comes back though. to the dishwasher. It's really interesting, though, that you... Like, I'm trying to think of all the different scenarios in which you could get the other person that you're negotiating with to say no from just saying a question. That disarms them, correct? Is that why he says it's successful? It's because... Well, it, it, it's a safe answer for people. Okay. I think when people are going into... Uh, or they're having a conversation where they're trying to protect their position, they feel more comfortable saying no. So yeah. if, you, if you say, you know, or, would you be opposed to this? Or, uh, you know, are you against the idea of us doing it this way? It, it just, right. it tends to make people more amenable to whatever you're suggesting. So if you took that concept and put it on to like a larger scale, say you're like a big business and you're saying, you could come in and say, so you're not looking for $2 trillion, are you? Like that kind of thing. And they're like, no. And then because they're actually looking for $1 trillion. Do you know what I mean? $1 trillion. One trillion. I don't know why I chose trillion. I, I live in a fantasy world i guess of scrooge mcduck <laughs> of scrooge. just diving through the coins <laughs> exactly uh, i want to talk about some tips that came specifically from masterclass.com and they talked about when you're negotiating around money that you should use concrete numbers rather than a range and you know concrete numbers yeah part of this one seemed a bit obvious to me <laughs> i don't know if people could pick up on the, it's okay on a good old cat Charlie, he always makes an appearance. When you're selling a product, you would you don't tell somebody you know you're hoping to get somewhere in the neighborhood of five hundred to seven hundred dollars for this item, right? Because as soon as you give people a range, they will automatically know that the lower number in that range is an acceptable price for you that's and they right. will and they will automatically go to that that's so there's no way that you're likely to get above that because they know you basically told them what your final offer is in, at the onset that's really interesting because on kijiji if you're selling something say you're selling something for 500 dollars, when you list it you list it for 525 dollars because you're already negotiating you know you know that when someone wants to buy it they're going to want that 25 dollars off so then you're going to get what you want, which is $25 or which is $500. Do you right. know what I mean by that? Well, yes. You're I mean, already negotiating without even talking to somebody. And we talked a little bit about this in part one about the idea of high anchoring. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're the buyer, you're low anchoring, you're, you're, you know, you're right. going in low knowing that you'd be comfortable spending a little bit more. And as a seller, you're probably going in, uh, you know, high knowing you'd be comfortable accepting a little bit less. That's right. Yeah. We watched an episode of, uh, house hunters international. Re- Right? I think it was international. Oh, yeah. It's usually international. That's how we're getting That's our travel fave, travel fix during the pandemic as we watch people buy homes in exotic places. Yeah, and complain that there's no no two sinks in the bathroom. I know. <laughs> Wait, well, I don't understand that. I don't like get Who, it together people that you is both it like need Grand to Central be Central Station like in the morning <laughs> like you need two sinks. We must brush I our teeth at the exact same time. Anyway. I don't yeah, I don't get the idea why why there needs to be two sinks. Yeah. It's, it seems excessive. So, but, but no, you were going to say something about house. I hunters. was. They were buying a house, and uh, the they basically came back to the realtor and offered a very specific price. It was like, I don't know, one hundred and twenty six thousand five hundred and sixty dollars. Sixty five dollars and thirty three cents. <laughs> I don't know if they went to the cents, but the realtor was like, "Oh, is that a lucky number or something?" And they said, "No, it's just 
if we give an exact number, then they know we've really thought about what we can afford and Hmm. are sort of coming in with something that they likely think is our best offer that we are able to make. Otherwise, why we would be so specific. And they got the house. And if I remember correctly, they, their, their offer was accepted, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that always works. I'm sure some people see through that tactic, but it was interesting that they went in with something specific. You don't hear about that one too often. I don't think. No. Well, I mean, it's and it's rare that somebody's budget would be an even like, no, yeah. I can only spend $2 million. Also, I mean, that's another pet peeve. How do these people have, all have so much money to spend on I houses? Know. It's a ridiculous amount of money. It is. And sometimes they're buying like second, second or third the houses. The moment you hear the realtor say, oh, I have good news. It's only $2 million. When they're asking price or the, like the the most that they wanted to pay was like two million seven hundred thousand, they're like, "Oh, that's a good price, but two million dollars." I anyway. know, I know. Another tip from masterclass is around the idea of you know a best negotiated agreement lets both sides win. So yeah, you know we did, we just talked about this. If you go in as uh, you know trying to make a deal and you have that win lose mindset, you. And even if you're successful, if you're long-term doing business, word gets around. Yeah, and so, absolutely. You know, it, it makes sense to want to achieve a you know a win-win, so you don't alienate uh, future business deals. Uh, you know, you should approach each each negotiation, each deal ethically, and uh, and then you set yourself up for a lifetime of you know fruitful negotiations rather yeah. than just that one-time win. So I think it's think a about the long game. I think it's a traditional notion that in negotiation, everybody should come out on top, right? Like it should, everybody should be uh, equally happy with the transaction or whatever happened. Right. And what that looks like would be different for every discussion, whether, but it, I guess the idea is that there are aspects of the, the final agreement that both parties are happy with, and then they've both had some concessions as well. But really though, each person on either end of the negotiation is literally trying to be a negotiation ninja. They're trying to come out on top and make it the other person think that they're, it's an equal negotiation. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Each person is. So it's like, uh, it's really interesting to me and, and a little bit deceiving when they say, oh, our true negotiation is when someone, when both parties come out happy and like on top or whatever. But there's always, there's always like someone who wants to get more of a deal in the negotiation than the other. Well, that, yes. And the, uh, the art of negotiation is letting somebody else have your way. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Which was the quote from part one, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. See, I, I pay attention. Uh, Jeff Hayden uh, wrote an article for Inc. magazine. It was called Highly Effective Negotiation Tactics That Anyone Can Use. And he talked about the idea of using silence to your advantage. He said most Uh, of us... I found this really interesting. And this is the one I was going to mention that I, I practice. I've been practicing more. And it's just the idea that most of us do talk a lot when we're nervous. I personally just love to talk, so I tend yeah. to fill the silence with words whenever I can, which is why we like podcasting, I guess. Uh, but people do talk a lot when they're nervous, and when they're talking, they're missing a lot, so they're not really hearing what the other side is looking for. And so if you're not hearing what they need from it, then you're not going to be able to address it. Right. So you know, hold silent. So say you're, you're going to buy something and you make an offer and the seller says that's way too low. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's an almost insulting. Like say you're going to buy a car and you offer them, I don't know, 
25 grand or a thousand. Well, yeah, it depends on whatever price they're asking, but say you all, you a thousand less or, or something like that. Yeah. It's, if the seller comes back and says that's way too low, then, you know, just remain silent Yeah. and, and see what it, because then typically what'll happen is the other person will want to fill that silence. So they may give you some reasons of why they feel the offer is too low. They might share why they need to make the deal quickly. Uh, so <laughs> all things that you can make use of uh, yeah. as you as you move through figuring out a price. Remain silent and burn holes with your eyes through their skull. <laughs> but you wouldn't. You wouldn't <laughs> as you look- stare at them. Anyway. Yeah, I guess that's a, yeah another trick is you know <laughs> just stare not what right I came at, right across the whole staring staring daggers uh, <laughs> tactic of negotiating. <laughs> but really, if you're if you're talking, you're not going to learn. You're not going to learn uh, some valuable information that you need to to keep going and to figure out what what they're looking for from the right from, from uh, the end game. And you know, in if you're having more of a discussion, if it's a longer negotiation, ask open ended questions, not yes or no, so that you can find out more. And you know, you might not be able to meet in the middle, much less on your side of the middle. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, unless you know what the other people need, you you know you're not really going to get anywhere. So their I guess summary is be quiet, and they'll tell you what they need out of the agreement. Yeah, and then you work from there. I wonder how often negotiations completely break off, you know, and there's just no resolution whatsoever. Well, no I mean, one... there's so many different types of negotiations. There in are, life, yeah, right? like. like let's say for like example, if there was a union negotiation or something like that, then there's a mediator and then that breaks off all the time, you know? Well, yes. When, with collective bargaining, Mm. there's an entire process to help work through that. Right. So that's, and there are different types of very formal negotiations that have, uh, you know, a process in place that's followed to avoid coming to, a, uh, you know, it's interesting though, because the ultimate goal is to come to some kind of resolution, but sometimes there just isn't one. Yeah, and I guess that's true of life. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Another tip uh, from that article is try to never negotiate alone. And they put alone in question marks, or not question marks, quotation marks. That makes more sense. <laughs> well, you don't. You probably have the final word in a negotiation. The person you're negotiating with may not know that you're the ultimate decision maker, and you can sometimes use that to your advantage. So. You know, if there's a reason that you need to sort of step away and think about what they've offered, uh, you know, just need a little bit more time to contemplate, just say, you know what, I, I got to talk it over with, with somebody else, or I've got to run this by someone, buy yourself a little bit of time. And, uh, you know, you might feel like that seems like a weak position, but... That could put the squeeze on the, the person you're negotiating of, with, too. Well, particularly if it's something that's time sensitive mm-hmm. and, and they're looking to get something closed. Uh, another thing is just to ignore like bold, emotional outbursts or statements and never assume that everything you hear is true. Sometimes people <laughs> will throw something at you to throw you off your game at, at the onset. And, uh, and it just like, it's a bit of a bullying tactic. I'm yeah. sure in one it's of Donald tactic, Trump's though, many It's a tactic <laughs> many that probably sees. often works. Yeah. And yeah. Trump, you're right. He probably does that all the time. Well, he does. And if you do feel intimidated, you know, feel free to, to walk away, uh, you know, get some distance from the discussion and then and regroup and then go back to it. Um, but, you know, just I guess that's just one of the things is 
a lot of people do go into a negotiation with that bullying mindset and it's yeah you know whether it's something you're dealing with coming at you or you're going in with it's just not a great way to get to a i can't see it being like hugely successful on in a large scale like like a large percentage of the time this bullying tactic i think it more than anything else it would probably just scare not scare but just like make people leave the negotiation and say you know what if you're going to be like that if you're going to have that tactic then i'm not going to. that's what i would do like i wouldn't i wouldn't even negotiate with somebody unless i had to i guess for my life or something <laughs> you know <laughs> well i think a lot of what we know in terms of that that hardcore negotiation we see on television yeah I know, which isn't always a an accurate depiction but you know when you're looking at uh you know major uh you know company acquisitions and right and, and things like that they're yeah definitely things can get a little bit more aggressive when there's particularly when there's uh, a lot of money on the line. It'd be interesting to be a fly in the wall on the wall when there's two bullying negotiators going at the same time. They're just at each other's throats. Well, I can just imagine how you learn a lot by watching that. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, Eli Broad said, "The best move you can make in a negotiation is to think of an incentive the other person hasn't even thought of, and I like then that meet one it." Too. So it's the idea of, you know, figuring out something that will benefit them that yeah. may not even. And so when you throw it out there, It'd they be like, become quite how surprised. How would you like your child to go to university for free? I can set that up for you if you want to make this deal. Yeah. That kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Throw that in while you're negotiating your next, uh, you know, your rate with your cell phone provider. Yeah. I can get your kid into Harvard. How about that cheaper rate? It sounds like one of those outrageous statements we talked about. <laughs> I know. You might need to fact check that one. That brings us to our definition for this episode, and it is from the Bright Network. They talk about the idea of coinage, and it refers back to that statement I just made. But coinage is something that means a lot to the other party, but not that much to you. So ah. finding out what the other party's motivation is can allow you to keep coinage for the latter part of negotiation. Um so something to throw in at the end of the negotiation that would like be the icing on the, well, the cake? Exactly. So one of these, like if you're, I don't mm -hmm. know if you've ever bought a television or something from, or a major appliance from a salesman and they'll, in the end, they'll, they'll throw in a free warranty. Right. That's true. <laughs> or, or something that's like a, it's a marginal cost to the company or to the, you know, to the salesman's commission, but they, uh, they sort of give it to you to help close that deal at the end and. And it may be something that is quite valuable to you in terms of peace of mind and, you know, knowing you can return whatever it is you're purchasing. So that makes you a little bit more likely to go through with the purchase, but it also is less cost to them yeah. to offer it up. So it's always great to have that icing on the cake to, uh, you know, offer at the end, because what's a cake without icing? I mean, you know. It's like a, a, well, a cupcake without icing is a muffin. There you go. But muffins have icing, don't they? Maybe they don't. I don't think they do. Okay. Maybe they don't. Not chocolate chip muffins. That's for sure. I think once the icing goes on, that's when it becomes a cupcake. You're absolutely right. It I goes never, from healthy to unhealthy with just a little bit of icing. Either way, though, it's cake. Yes. Either way. You can have your cake and eat your muffin, too. <laughs> Um, so another, another tip, uh, from the, from Bright Network is just to set the tone at the beginning of a negotiation, particularly a formal negotiation. And, you know, to avoid that idea of things getting out of hand, bullying is to have people agree at, at the front end that it's going to be a productive and respectful negotiation. And 
If, mm. if it does go off the rails at some point, you can always come back to that anchor back to that initial agreement. Like, you know, this is what we agreed to on the onset. And I feel like we're deviating from that, you know, that line of discussion. So let's circle back. Let's get back to where, why, mm. why we came here. So it's, is it possible though, that the person that you're negotiating, once you brought out, once you said like, look, we're going to have a cordial, uh, is it possible that they may just think, well, I'm kind of insulted that you thought it would be an like a, you know, off the rails negotiation right from the get go. And you know what I mean? No, I think that it's enough of a standard practice that people wouldn't take it personally. Okay. I've actually been in meetings and different discussions where that's been done in really? the forefront. And it's, okay. uh, it just, it keeps everything moving along. It's just setting expectations. Everybody, you know, is in agreement with what those expectations are. And and so when things, it's less awkward when conversation derails. Yes. Uh, because you have something to point back to. Yeah, so that's true. It, it's effective that way. And it, I imagine there are negotiations that happen where nobody, nobody wants to like waste any time. It's like, no, we are not prepared to do that. Yes, we are prepared to do that, but only with this. Like, it's just like, you know what I mean? No, there's no like conversation. It's just like, well, how do you feel about accepting this much? No. Okay, what about this? No. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I feel like divorce lawyers would... Yeah, that's true. From what I've seen on television anyway, they usually come in with what, what they're willing to... You know, they, they have clear right. mindset of what they want. Yeah. Harvard Law School actually <clears throat> covers a few hard bargaining tactics to watch out for. So I'll sort of go over these ones quickly. But sometimes people will make extreme demands and then follow up with slow, small concessions. So they'll they'll really push hard for something that they know you're not going to give into and then... And then just start making... Killing it back. Yeah, giving you a little bit by little bit. And Mm -hmm. that really just drags out the entire process. So one way they suggest to sort of head off this tactic is just to have a clear sense of what your own goals are. And this comes back to BATNA, you know, the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So, you know, even if you don't reach an agreement, you have in your mind what the alternative is so you can remain calm and you don't have to be rattled by somebody who's being aggressive. That's true. It's a good point. Um, you can always just have, you know, you have the ace in your hand. Right. You know, commitment tactics. So even though you can use this to your advantage, your opponent may also use it against you. So it's when, you know, your opponent may say their hands are tied, that they only have a limited uh, ability to negotiate with you. And that's when you can basically ask, you know, well, who can I speak with that does have the ability to make decisions? Yeah. So don't let that be the reason why, you know, you can't reach an agreement. Some people will use a take it or leave it negotiation strategy. And, you know, if time is on your on your hands, this may be the time to sort of walk away. Or just even though they say take it or leave it, use a counter offer. Sometimes they use a time sensitive offer as well. You have twenty four hours to decide, that kind of thing. The pressure tactic. Well, and I, I've watched a lot of those uh, high-end real estate shows mm-hmm. where they do this whole, this is my final offer, but then somebody comes back with the counter and they accept it. Exactly. So often, yeah. it, oftentimes it is just words. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed Brodow is a uh, negotiation expert, speaker, author, and he, you know he has some great information out there if you, you know, want to check out some of his uh, articles and tips. But he talks about the fact that you shouldn't be afraid to ask for what you want. Successful negotiators are assertive, um, and they challenge things. They challenge, you know, I, uh, what what's coming at them in terms of information, and they know that everything is negotiable. And it's known. He it's calls true. this uh, everything's for sale, and everything's negotiable. Negotiation consciousness. Yeah. And there is a difference between assertiveness and aggressiveness. 
So you want to avoid being aggressive, but assertive is, you know, you're looking after your own interests. It's a fine line though, right? Being assertive and not coming off as too aggressive. Well, and a lot of it is in terms of respect, right? Right. So you're taking care of your own interests, but you're respecting the interests of the other party as well. Whereas if you show a lack of regard for their interests, it does come across as being more aggressive. Absolutely, yeah. No one really wants to do that in a negotiation. So like on a practical level, it, it means you, like, if you're buying a new car, you have the right to, you know, question the asking price of the car. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, or, you can't negotiate unless you know the validity of, of your, uh, you know, right. the opposing position. It's like we, we negotiated tires for our car when we bought our Subaru, so which was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's always what, what can you get thrown in too, right? Yeah. Uh, one quick tip around buying a car is not to mention that you even have a trade-in until you have your final price. Oh, because yeah. otherwise that may not be factored in at the same level. So if you have, if you do your homework and, uh, you know, you know what the value of your trade-in will be, then negotiate as though there is no trade-in, get to your final price, then mention your vehicle so that that can come off of what that bottom price is rather than Interesting. Uh, be in the back of the I, mind I think of your... most people go right in saying, okay, we'll have a trade-in. So we always have. Yeah, we have. But I definitely... Uh, We're not going to do it next time. I know. <laughs> and we will get a free car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's just it's just the idea that, you know, it gets factored into the, you know, the overall price. Mm-hmm. You should always be willing to walk away. Um you know, it puts yourself in a bad position if if you're not able to. No when to walk away. You shouldn't no be in a run. hurry. You know, it's uh, whoever has the most time has a bit of an advantage. And so if you if you feel rushed, you're likely to make concessions you don't necessarily want to make. Absolutely. So I want to just, you know, mention that not all deals work and that's okay. Some negotiations hit a brick wall. And, you know, that's, that's life. <laughs> so that that's when you life. go back to the BATNA you, and you go back to what the alternative is. You can't is. win them all. But I do want to make a quick takeaway on this one. We, we did talk about trying to negotiate a bill. Uh, in, you know, in part one. Yeah, look yeah. at one of your, one of your bills and, and give a call and see if you can get that price down a little bit. No, no harm in trying. You are the customer. But in this one, we just talk about um, doing a little role play maybe with, you know, with a friend or a spouse to, to try out some of these negotiation skills or try them out on your kids. Yeah. Um, if you have kids, you can try them out. They'll be none the wiser. And you can just sort of work through some of these ideas because it is a, a skill that needs to be practiced and uh, in order I know to I've been trying to practice successful. it with our son, like do a little bit, but I, I, I kind of forget that sort of mentality of thinking. I, I want to get back close to it, though, you know, clear, clear minded. I found this a very fascinating topic, and I yeah, hope you guys did, too. It's uh, it was fun to research and fun to share. Have fun negotiating. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out past episodes and subscribe to keep up with what's new. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. And why not leave a review? You can also follow InfoQuent on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Till Til next time. time.